We are in a series, as you probably know, called Guardrails. And uh, this is a uh, series we're going to be doing for the month of August. And today, we'll be talking about a guardrail that when a preacher talks about this subject, everybody gets a little nervous. We're going to talk about the guardrail of money and what that looks like, how we put up guardrails in our life concerning our, our finances. Let me just say right off the bat, this is not some veiled attempt to get you to give more money to New Hope. Because frankly, it isn't about the church. This is about you. This is about how we handle our finances in a God-first life, which is what we want to do, right? I believe the people of New Hope want to know what it looks like biblically to handle the finances and the money and the wealth and the possessions that God gives us in our life. So that's what we're going to talk about today. My text verse is out of Matthew 6. I'm going to ask you to stand with me, please, if you would, just in honor of reading God's word this morning. Matthew 6, verse 24. These are the words of Jesus himself. He says, no one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, or he will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Some very direct words from Jesus for us this morning. The title of my message today is called The Consumption Assumption. Would you pray with me this morning? Father, we do love you today. We thank you for your sweet presence in this place, Lord. God, today as we talk about finances, we want you to be first and foremost in our minds. Lord, I pray that our hearts today would be open to hear your word. I pray that it would be good soil that would produce fruit in our lives, Lord, that you would be glorified, God. It's not about us today, this is about you, and you'd be glorified through our lives. And I pray that you would seal the work you're doing today in our lives by your spirit, and that we would all be blessed and better for knowing your word today. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen, amen. God bless you, you can be seated. Thank you, Lord. So for those of you that uh, maybe weren't here last week, or maybe this is even your first week here, uh, let me give you a real quick overview of this series we're doing called Guardrails. Uh, you know, the, everybody knows what a physical guardrail looks like. They're the, the barriers you see on the road, and you know when you see those guardrails on the road that that means you should pay attention because obviously you don't wanna hit that and ding up your car, but it also usually tells us that there's something on the other side of that that would be dangerous if we were to drive over there, right? It's usually protecting us from going down into a ditch or off a cliff or whatever that might be. And so uh, personal life guardrails are the exact same thing. Guardrails for life that we're gonna be talking about this month is all about um, standards in our life that we impose in our own life, that we set up in our life that become a matter of conscience for us. It's about putting up things in our life that are intentional to say, to help us to stay out of the ditches that we can get into in our life, whether it is financial, whether it's relational, whether it's moral, whatever it may be, but putting up guardrails and being intentional in our life about that. Now, let me say, first of all, and I said this last week, I'll probably say this every week because I want to make it very clear, this is not about salvation, okay? There's only, there, we're not talking about doing things in our life so that God will love us and so that we would be saved, right? Because that's not what it's about. There's only one guardrail that comes from salvation. That is the guardrail of the cross of Jesus. And we can't put that up in our life. That's already been done. Jesus did it for us. We just have to put our faith in that guardrail that God gave us. Amen? It is the blood of Jesus. It is his death, his resurrection that gives us salvation and trusting in him with our life. So this is not about uh, earning our salvation or anything like that. In fact, this isn't even about do's and don'ts. This series is about wisdom. It's about using wisdom that God gives us in our life. In fact, let me share a verse out of Proverbs 27. I think this verse encapsulates and explains the idea of guardrails better than almost any other in the Bible. It says, a prudent person foresees danger and takes precautions, 
in other words, puts up guardrails in their life. The simpleton or the naive person goes blindly on and suffers the consequences. So he gives us, he gives us the consequences of not foreseeing danger, of not being prudent, and of not taking precautions in our life. He's saying here, listen, don't be naive. Take precautions. Show restraint in your life. Wow, what a novel concept, right? See, society doesn't celebrate restraint. Society doesn't celebrate that at all. Society celebrates, hey, do what you want. Live your life. Live your best life. Do it, man. If it, whatever makes you happy, do it. The, light, the society doesn't talk about restraint at all because that's too restricting, right? But for those of us as followers of Jesus, we know that restraint, though not celebrated in society, is evidence of wisdom in our life. The person that shows restraint in their life is, is revealing that they have wisdom in their life. So that's what this whole series is about. Today's guardrail, as I said, is about money. It's about our finances. It's about the stuff that we have in our life. Now, I know some of you may wanna tune me out. You may think, oh goodness, here we go. This is where the preacher says, God needs my money, all right? Well, I, I will not, I've never said that and I never will say that because I don't believe that God needs anything. That's not what this is about. In fact, uh, I don't know what kind of church you grew up in or where you've been, and I'm sure you've seen abuse of finances, of manipulation, of trying to get people to give. You'll never experience that here at New Hope as long as I'm here, because we don't believe in that at all. I'm actually naive enough to believe that God is the provider for New Hope, that God is my provider, and that as we trust him and put him first, that he's actually going to meet our needs. So you don't have to worry about that today. I wanna put you at ease with that. This is about how we live our life with our finances, whether you're part of New Hope or whether you're visiting here from California and you'll never see us again. I believe these principles are stuff we can live by in our life every day as we, as we advance in our life. You may have noticed even here at New Hope, we don't even pass the bucket on Sundays as so many churches do. I don't have any issue with passing the bucket. That's, we don't have anything against people doing that. A lot of churches still do it. It's totally fine. But we decided a while back not to do that. And one of the biggest reasons we don't do it to this day is because Paul talks about in 2 Corinthians about how God loves a cheerful giver. He says that people should give what they've determined in their heart, not out of compulsion, not out of guilt, not out of manipulation. We don't want anybody to feel manipulated in this place to feel like they have to give. We want people to give with a cheerful heart, what they've determined in their heart to give. So that's between you and God, what you give. And so that's why we don't, Pass the bucket. It doesn't mean we have tons of money in the bank. We just don't need any money. It's not what that means at all. But we want God to put it on people's hearts to give out of the abundance of their heart so they can do it cheerfully, not, oh, I feel guilty. The bucket's coming by. I better put something in here so people don't look at me. Right? We want you to feel the freedom to give what God has put on your hearts in your life. So I'm challenging you today to open your heart to this message. And here's why. Because I know that overwhelmingly, the majority of us in this room, the majority of us listening online, that we worry about money. I know that many of you worry about whether or not you're gonna be able to pay your debts off. Some of you might even be worried about whether or not you're gonna be able to pay your debts off that are required of you this month. Some are worried about whether or not you're gonna be able to pay for your kid's college. Some of you are worried about whether or not you're gonna pay for your own college. We worry about money so much in this society because of the, because of the consumption assumption that we have been handed by society, saying that what I have is mine, I'm gonna use it for myself, and what I decide to do with it is my business, and I'm gonna use it to buy stuff, I'm gonna reward myself for my hard work, and we have this assumption that what we get is just meant to be for our consumption. 
when in reality, that's not the biblical approach at all. In fact, most aspects of culture and of our self, our, our sin nature, are contrary to the word of God. So we have to look at a biblical perspective of what it looks like to handle the finances, the, 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 the things that God gives us in our life. And the Bible has a lot to say about it. Do you believe me when I tell you today that you do not have to live in worry of your finances, of your money, of what you're gonna do, how you're gonna get to this point or how you're gonna get certain things paid? You're not, you don't have to worry about money. It's the most freeing thing in the world to know that we don't have to worry about money because we have a heavenly father that is good and he's faithful. And I believe with all my heart that as we put him first and as we trust him and as we approach our life biblically, not just our quiet times and our times at church, but our life from Monday through Saturday, that as we approach it biblically, we, we can trust him and we don't have to worry about the things that everybody else and even many, many Christians would be worrying about. I wanna be clear too today, I'm not telling us that we, should be hate, that we should hate money because I don't think that's of God either. Jesus didn't hate money, he never talked about hating money. And so if he doesn't hate money, we don't need to hate it either. We just wanna take a biblical approach to it. In fact, hating money and thinking, oh, we shouldn't, you know, we're Christians, we should never even think about having money, that's a, that's a spirit in itself that is not of God. There's a, there's a poverty spirit that would, that would grip some Christians saying, well, you know what, the world cares about money, so that means I have to completely reject it and I can't care about it and I just have to be poor and that's the only way that, God's really, that I'm really pleasing God in my life. That's just as unbiblical and just as dangerous as the consumption mentality. So we don't hate money, but it's also very clear that we're not to love money either. In fact, uh, the Apostle Paul, in his first letter to Timothy, his protege, in chapter six, verse nine, look what he says here. He says, people who wanna get rich fall into temptation and a trap and into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge men into ruin and destruction. That's tough. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. So he's, it's very clear we're not to love money because that is an evil thing that can take us into places that he's describing here. This is a stern warning for us as Christians, what he's telling us here. Look at the things he's saying we could fall into if we love money. He says you can fall into temptations, traps, foolish and harmful desires, ruin, and ultimately destruction. This is like a progressive list that he gives. This should make us all stand up and take notice that this is not what we are to do. We're not to, to love money. You might say, well, I don't think I love money, but..." We might love it more than we know. And as we go through this today, maybe it'll even bring some insight into your life. Because see, this is the scariest part is right here is the next part of that verse. And in, in verse 10, he says that some people eager for money have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. Now that should scare us. And you might think, well, that would never happen to me. But you know, you don't know what will happen to you until you get to that point because money is actually very, very powerful. The idea of wealth is very, very powerful in the human psyche, right? We all know that. And so Paul's saying here, some have wandered from their faith. Some have actually rejected their faith in Jesus because they wanted money so badly. I've actually seen it in circles that I've been in, in my own life, where people have wandered away, they've gone away, they've rejected God because they were so determined that they were gonna live their life to pursue their wealth, and God just didn't really fit into that when they really started seeking the scriptures. And so people will walk away from the faith. And the reason is because money and faith are closely linked. They're closely linked. You can't say, well, this is my 
This is my faith, and over here is where I have my, all my stuff, all my increase. This, this is different. I, I keep that separate from my faith. You can't do it because they're very closely linked in our life, and this is why we need guardrails. This is why we need guardrails. Very few things in life is it more important that we have guardrails than in the area of money because of the power that it can have over our life. Now, let me be very clear. We don't need guardrails to guard our money. We need guardrails to guard our heart in regards to money. We're very good at guarding our money, right? We put it in a safe, we put it in the bank, we put it in investments and stocks, wherever we put it. We're good at guarding our money. That's not, I don't tell anybody, I don't see anybody walking around the parking lot just flashing cash around and dropping it and walking away, right? We're good at taking care of what we have. And that's a good thing. But we have to put guardrails up to guard our hearts against money, the love of money. Because, you know, Jesus actually, when he talked, all, all the gospels, it gives the words of Jesus, everything we see in the gospels, he talked more about money than he did heaven and hell combined. In fact, he talked more about money than any other thing except the kingdom of God. It's the only thing he talked more about than he talked about money. So obviously Jesus understood and wants us to understand the power that that has, the love of money, the draw that it is for us to be in love with the idea of money. You know, someone said one time, money makes the world go round. And it does, doesn't it? We see it. We see it in society. We, you need money for almost everything. And so money does make the world go round. But we, as Jesus followers, if that's who you are today, we have to be very intentional not to crave that power that comes with money and to be willing and, and, and intentional about holding it all with an open hand and trusting God. And I know that's hard for us because we feel like if we hold our, everything we have with an open hand towards God, that he's gonna take it. Because we have a misconception of who God is, that oh, if I, if I tell God all my money is yours, he's gonna say, good, I've been waiting for that. And he's gonna drain my bank account and give it all away to some country over in the Far East, right? That's not who he is. He wants us to trust him. And when we trust him, he actually can make us, bless us more than if we hold on to it and white knuckle everything that we have in our life. Money is not the problem. What money represents is the problem. And we need to be very, very aware of that. So what do you need to be on your guard against when it comes to finances in your life? What do you need to put a guardrail up when it comes to finances in your life? Is it about contentment? Is it about greed? Is it about the consumption assumption, just the consuming everything that you have for yourself? What do you need to put up in your life? I'm gonna go through a few today that I think are pretty prevalent, some money guardrails, and uh, I think this will uh, touch us, all, all three of these will in some way. The first one is a guardrail of devotion. My text verse today out of Matthew 6, the words of Jesus, it's talking about devotion. Jesus said that you cannot be devoted to one and the other, you're gonna be devoted to the one or the other. And the reason Jesus says this is because he knows that one of our biggest adversaries to our devotion to him is money. It's, it's at the top of the list that can keep us from being devoted to him. The money, money and what it promises is the chief competitor of our heart for Jesus. It's so important that we know that. It is so easy to love money, isn't it? It's so easy to be devoted money to put all of our effort into acquiring and building our wealth and building our net worth and building just our, our stockpile. It's so easy to do that. It's in our nature. It's, and again, I'm not saying it's bad to even pursue those things, but it's all about where your devotion is. It's about where your heart is. That's why Jesus said it's about devotion. It's about what 
your heart is committed to. He says, no one can serve two masters. He says, you cannot serve both God and money. And I think this is, this is very interesting that he says this because you've probably read this verse many times, so you know what's coming. But before this was ever a verse, it was just Jesus speaking it. And those people that were standing there when Jesus was speaking this, when they were hearing him say this, he was saying, you can't be devoted to one and the other. You cannot serve both God and, and I bet everybody there thought he was gonna say, you can't serve God and Satan, right? Because those are the opposites, God and Satan. But he didn't do that. It's very interesting, isn't it? That he didn't say Satan, he actually said money. And I believe the reason he did that was because if he said you can't serve both God and Satan, most, almost everybody would completely reject the idea of serving Satan, right? They'd say, oh yeah, that's a, no, that's a no-brainer, Jesus, we got you, we're serving you, right? Because really, even as crazy as the world is right now and as crazy as we're seeing the world get, there's still a very, very small percentage of people that actually want to worship and serve Satan, right? It's a very small number of people. Most of us don't even subscribe to that. We think it's ridiculous. Even, even people that don't have much faith would never say they're gonna serve Satan for the most part. So Jesus doesn't say, do you wanna serve me or do you wanna serve Satan? He says, you can't serve me and money. Because here's the deal. Jesus is actually really smart, right? He's smarter than all of us, he's God. And so he knows saying Satan, would have, they would have just kind of dismissed it. He had to say something, do something that would have made an impact. And so he says money because everybody, when you say you can't serve God and money, we all have to go, hmm, okay. Well, that's something I gotta think about then. Because again, we would all categorically deny serving and worshiping Satan. But when it comes to money, that's something we can do. But here's the thing, church, Satan's actually really clever himself. He doesn't, he doesn't necessarily come to us and say, hey, I want you to worship me because he knows what we would do. So what Satan does is he hides behind other things. He crouches down and hides behind the, the money and he says, hey, why don't you serve this money? This, this will make you feel good. This will do really good in your life. This is a good thing. And he's behind it the whole time, but you don't know it's him. And you're willing, next thing you know, you're serving the master, you're mastered by money. But in reality, you're mastered by the thing behind the money, which is the enemy of your soul. And so we, so we have to be very, very intentional and understand that when Jesus says you can't serve God in money, he's actually is saying you can't serve God and the devil because if you're serving money, you're actually serving the enemy because the enemy doesn't care if we actually worship him. He just wants us to worship anything other than Jesus. That's his goal. So if he can get us worshiping money, if he can get us worshiping relationships, a career, our vehicle, our house, whatever it is, anything, just don't worship Jesus. That's what he's doing. So Jesus cuts right to the heart and says, you cannot serve both God and money. And the reason he says this is because our faith and our money are closely linked. You can't serve one and serve the other. If you're serving money, if your life's aim, the purpose of your life is to build your net worth, you cannot serve God. That's not me saying, that's the words of Jesus. Because your heart will be split. Your heart, you'll have, a, you'll have a divided house to where you cannot fully serve him. So here's the guardrail when it comes to devotion. And it's the words of Jesus again, further down in this chapter in Matthew six. He goes on, you know, in chapter six to say like, you know, don't worry about what you're gonna wear, don't worry about what you're gonna eat. This is stuff the pagans run after, you know? You don't have to worry about this stuff. He says, your heavenly father knows you need these things. And then he goes on just to give one of the famous verses in all the Bible. At 33, he says, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all of these things will be given to you as well. 
It's such a simple, but it's such a profound thing. Do you know if we could really get this verse in our heart, it would change our life? If we really believed that if we seek him first, if he has first place in our life, if we really believe if he's up there, that he will make sure the rest is taken care of, it would change our life. It's hard to live that way, isn't it? It's like, okay, God, yeah, I definitely seek you for, like, you're first on the list, but I still got a lot of other things that I got to work on too. He's saying if you, this isn't so much a command, like, hey, seek me first. He's not, it's not as much of a command as it is him setting us free. He's saying, listen, if you'll seek me first, if you will genuinely put me at the highest place, if you will exalt me above everything else and your devotion, your heart's devotion is to me and my kingdom, he says, I'll take care of the rest. He'll do it. It's, it's his words. We can trust him in that. He's saying, in other words, you have to rearrange your priorities because our priority, our nature is not to put him first. Our nature is not, he's, he's somewhere down the list, but he's not first in our nature. Our nature is to take care of ourselves first, the people we care about after that, our, our other needs, what, uh, so many things that we care about, our hobbies, our loves. He's somewhere in the mix, but he, it's not in our nature to say, oh yeah, I just want to make God first in my life. Because when we put him first in our life, he's very clear that he requires it all. He requires our life. He requires everything. He says, take up your cross and follow me. And if you don't do it, you're not worthy of me. He doesn't give us any room to be half-heartedly following him. But he says, if you'll do it, you can trust me in the rest and you don't have to worry about it. And what this does is it keeps us out of the ditch of being mastered by money. If we put that guardrail devotion of seeking him first. That's what keeps us on the solid ground. I don't know, some of you in here, some of you listening online, you may have been mastered by money at some time in your life. Maybe you're there now where you're feeling it. Like you can tell, like, yeah, money's got a control on me, right? I could tell you that I've gone through a couple short seasons in my life where I felt like it was starting to master me. And I could tell you that is a bad place to be as a follower of Jesus. To be at a place where you feel like money's the most important thing. You know, when, when Joy and I went into business, our, our heart from the very beginning was that it would be something that we could use to fund the kingdom of God. That was our heart. We came out of missions, we had a heart for the kingdom. And when God put us in business, we said, we're gonna use it for the glory of God. Well, in a few years in, this was about 14, 15 years ago, I had a year that I would have never dreamed I could have even had. It was like a windfall. Just the business was doing incredibly well in spite of me, if anything, not because of me. And I remember starting to think differently. I started thinking about things that we were gonna be able to do with all this money. And, and, all the, uh, and, and my thoughts started going from like being excited about being able to, to use it for the kingdom, it started going towards using it for me and my selfish things. And I remember like it was yesterday coming home one day and Joy and I were sitting in the living room talking and I was so excited because I was like, Joy, this is what's happening right now and, and this is what we got and this is what's going on and we're making all this money. And I started saying like, you know, we might be able to retire early and I could see us maybe even having another house on the lake somewhere. And I started saying all these things and as it was, as it was coming out of my mouth, I was grossed out. It grossed me out because I realized what had happened. I started making money the priority and it, it, was, a, it was a gut-wrenching moment for me in my life. And I realized I'd completely gotten off track. I was in a ditch. And to get back up out of that ditch and put that guardrail back up, we had to do some drastic things. And frankly, we gave most of that money away. And I'm not saying that's what everybody has to do, but that's what I knew we knew we had to do to make sure that our hearts were staying devoted to Jesus and not to the money. 
And it's important that we do that. Sometimes we have to take drastic steps to make sure that we guard our hearts against the things that, would, that money would take us into in our life. And the interesting thing is, you know, God wants us to seek him first, but when things are going well, it's easy to put them on the back burner, isn't it? So easy when things are going well. But what's the first thing we do when an emergency, a financial emergency hits us? Oh, God, <laughs> remember me, Reagan? I'm that, you know, nice Yankee guy that moved to the South. We haven't talked in a while, but uh, kind of need your help, right? I'm in this pickle and I really need to invite you in to my finances. Oh, that we would invite him into our finances long before we ever get to the emergency. Because that's his heart. I don't know about you, but I don't want to relegate God in my life to just coming in to fix in my emergencies. I want him in from the beginning. I want him to be part of it because then when I go through the emergencies, it doesn't mean everything's always going to be perfect, but it means when I go through the emergencies, my heart's already on him. I'm already trusting him. It doesn't ruin my week. It doesn't cause me to go crazy and have all kinds of anxiety and, and start, you know, taking out cash advances and taking out new loans because I'm just freaking out and I'm letting my, my fear and worry lead me, but I'm actually being able to trust him and trust that he's gonna lead me through the situations I find myself in. Let's not relegate him to our emergencies in our life. The question when it comes to devotion that we need to ask ourselves is in what ways in my life do I see the pursuit of money, wealth, and possessions as competitors to my devotion to God? I'd like you guys to think about this. I'd actually like you to write it down, take a picture of the screen, whatever it is, but think about this and even maybe talk about this with your family this afternoon or this week. What are things in my life that are competing for my devotion to God? Because we need to think about it. Another guardrail that we need to put up in regards to our finances is one of contentment. Man, it's hard to be content today, isn't it? There's so much stuff. It's really hard to be content. And I often wonder what I would actually own if I didn't know what any of you had. <laughs> Do you ever think about that? Like, what would I own if I didn't know what anybody else had? How much do I let what you have determine what I want in my life? And frankly, when I think about that, it's actually kind of disappointing because I realize I let you guys have a lot of say in how I spend my money. And I don't like that. That's really not how it's supposed to be, right? There's a lot of comparing going on. And you, you, know, for, you think your car's fine until somebody else you see gets a car that's three years newer. It's like, well, shoot, my car doesn't have that. And suddenly you're not as content as you were 10 minutes ago, right? I thought my phone was fine. What is, how many cameras does your phone have? Oh yeah, I gotta get a new one, right? Whatever it is, if we don't know there's a camera with 16, a phone with 16 cameras, we're not gonna want one, right? I don't think they have that many yet, but it feels like it's getting there. It's so hard to be content with what we're dealing with in society today and everything we know about everybody else. But we can be. But I can tell you today that contentment is not learned. I'm sorry, it's not acquired, it's actually learned in our life. You can never acquire contentment by getting stuff, by acquiring things in your life. How many times have you thought, man, if I could just get you know, a $10,000 raise, man, then I, I would be good, you know, I'd be content then. Or if I could just get a, a newer car, I'd, I'd be good. Or if I could just get a bigger house, uh, just a little bit bigger, you know, I'd be good. And, and you know what happens when, that, when you get that finally, is you get there and you think that's the goal line and what happens when you get there? The goal line moves forward again. It just keeps moving. It's an, it's an, it's an unattainable thing to get to a place of contentment by what we can acquire. 
John D. Rockefeller said it, and people quote him all the time. Somebody asked him one time, how much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. That's all of us. That's not him. We can, we can roast him and make him seem like he's a horrible person. We all feel that way. If we're allowing society, if we're allowing our flesh and our own natural desires to lead us, then that's how we're gonna live too. Because you cannot acquire contentment in your life. Solomon said in Ecclesiastes, he said, whoever loves money never has enough. That's coming from the richest man that ever lived. He said, if you love money, you're never gonna have enough. We could take some words of wisdom from him. And if money is your master, you will never, ever, ever be content. What you'll do is you'll end up sacrificing things that really do matter. You'll sacrifice relationships. You'll sacrifice time with your family. You'll sacrifice your relationship with God. You'll sacrifice your morals. If you love money, you'll never, ever be content. The guardrail of contentment will keep us out of a ditch. It'll keep us out of the ditch of greed. And greed, that's an ugly word. We don't like saying that word much in church because it's just kind of ugly. Greed is something that I can see in all of you, but I can't see it in the mirror, right? It's easy to pinpoint in somebody else. Man, I can spot it in a second somebody else, but boy, is it hard to see it in myself because my motives are different. <laughs> I needed that, you know? When in reality, a lot of times it really is greed. But society doesn't even condemn greed. Society actually promotes greed now. Society says, man, you need to do it. If you got to step over people to get where you want to be, you go ahead and do it. That's what society says. So the only, the only person that's trying to keep us in a way that we would be content and not live in greed is, is God. It's the Holy Spirit in us. He's our only chance of living content and not being greedy and wanting everything and anything that we can get our hands on. The Apostle Peter in his second epistle, in chapter two, he's talking to uh, the people, he's talking about false teachers. He's talking about people that had, had escaped the ways of the world but then got re-entangled in those ways. And, and how, how, how crazy it is when you've, been, when you've experienced God and then you go back to the ways of the world. And he says in verse 22, he says, of these people, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to his vomit and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. You know, pigs love mud. We all know that, all right? They genuinely do. That's not like a caricature of them. They actually do love mud. If you wash off a pig, you know what it's gonna do? It's not gonna thank you for making it clean. It's gonna run back to the mud. And what Peter is saying here is that for some people, they actually, when they have been washed clean, they've been taken out of the mud, which we have if we are followers of Jesus. You know, before we knew Jesus, we were all wallowing in the mud. And we didn't know any different, so we just enjoyed the mud. But then Jesus came along, saved us, pulled us out of the mud. He pulled us out of the miry pit, put our feet on solid ground. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. That's what he did for us. But how often do, some, do we sometimes go running back to the mud, to wallow in the mud and roll around in the mud. And then, you know, the church is here and the church will try to spray people off and keep them clean. And they're like, thanks for, thanks for spraying me off, but then running back to the mud. I can tell you, I fell in love with Jesus 30 years ago. I just, when I gave my life to him, it just, there was no going back. It's impossible for me to even think about going back. He pulled me out of that mud, right? Now, does that mean I've never walked over to the mud, got my feet a little muddy? No, that's happened. It's definitely happened. But you know what? When my feet get muddy now, it grosses me out. 
because I know I don't belong in there anymore. I know I don't belong in that mud pit anymore. So when I get my feet dirty, it grosses me out. Like when I, when I start thinking about what I can do with all the money that God gave us, it grosses me out because I know that's not who I am now. That's in, the, that's in this mud, not, not the cleaned person that's been washed clean by the blood of Jesus. So there's no place for us to be wallowing back in that. The, the world, everybody, everybody outside of a relationship with God, their, their greed, their, their contentment is based on how much stuff they can acquire, how much money they can acquire. And they're wallowing in that mud because they don't know any different. But when we who have been cleaned go back to wallowing in that mud, we're completely rejecting what Jesus did for us. Like there, there is no place in the life of a Christian to pursue in, in a greedy way in our life. Greed is, is straight from the pit of hell. Greed is not of God ever, ever in our life. And we try, when we live trying to find contentment by acquiring things, what we're doing is we're living like this life is all there is. Like, well, you know, it's, it's just, I gotta find happiness in this life. So I gotta be a little greedy and go get the things that I need. When in reality, we know the truth, there's actually a lot more than what this life is. Even this life outside of the mud is, is good, but man, there's an eternal life waiting for us that is so much better, that is directly affected by us being pulled out of the mud and not going back into that mud. We can be content in our life and there is nothing else that will satisfy us except for him. Nothing in this life. Paul said in Philippians 4 and verse 12, I love love this verse. It's one of my life verses. He says, I know what it is to be in need and I know what it is to have plenty. So he's had both. He says, I've been poor and I've been wealthy. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. He says he has learned the secret. Contentment is learned. It is not acquired. If it was about getting stuff, he would have said, hey, listen, I've had plenty and I've had little. Let me tell you, you want to be content? It's in the plenty. Go get it. Whatever you need, you go get it because that's where contentment is. He didn't say that. He also didn't say contentment is being in need. That spirit of poverty is not, no place for that either in our life. That we should just want to be broke and always give everything away and never have enough to even take care of ourselves. He doesn't say that either. He says, I've learned to be content in every situation. So he didn't condemn having much. He didn't condemn being in need. He says you can be content in either one. That's a wonderful promise. That's a wonderful word out of the word of God for us as followers of Jesus. I can tell you even in my own life, the reason this resonates so much is because I've been in the same place. I've had little. When I was a single missionary, if I had $100 in my checking account, I was so excited because that meant I could probably go to Burger King four times that week. <laughs> there was a Burger King across the street from where I, we lived. That was exciting to me. And then when we first got married, came out of missions, we were, we were living in a little townhome. I had to at one point get a cash advance on a credit card to pay my rent. That is the worst financial advice that anyone could ever give you <laughs> to get a cash advance on a credit card. But I felt like I didn't have a choice. But that's where we were. We were definitely in need. But then I've also been to the place where I've had plenty. When business was well, and I talked about that moment where, where it was really well. And I've had both situations, I've been on both sides of it, and I can tell you unequivocally, there is no correlation between contentment and wealth. There's no correlation whatsoever. In fact, I would argue that I was probably more content when I had less. 
because of all the pressures and everything else that comes with having wealth, the responsibilities, I was probably more content on the other side of it. There's no correlation between the two. The question I would ask you today when it comes to contentment is, am I trying to acquire contentment or am I committed to learning it? Jesus said in Luke 7, uh, 12, verse 15, it says, then he said to them, watch out. It's an exclamation point. So Jesus is being emphatic here. When Jesus is yelling or being emphatic, we should pay attention. He says, be on your guard. In other words, put up guardrails against all kinds of greed. A man's life does not consist in the abundance of his possessions. Man, Lord, help us to get that in our heart. Help us to get it in here, because it is not easy. I'm not gonna say I've got it mastered. It's a challenge for us. But Jesus is saying, I promise you, I promise you it is not about what you acquire. You could be content without any of that stuff because of who he is in us. And then the last guardrail I wanna give you today is the guardrail of generosity. And this is a tough one because this is about us not just looking to our own needs, but also looking to the needs of others. It's taking it another step in our life. Do we have a responsibility as Christians to be generous? I believe the Bible is very clear that we do. Very, very clear that it's not even just about us taking care of us and just you know, loving God and, 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 and blessing God, but it's about being generous with others in our life. And this isn't something that we practice because Christians are supposed to practice. It's something we practice because it's the love of God that's been put in us. That's what the Bible tells us. In fact, in 1 John, let me tell you, John and his epistle, he, he did not mess around. If you're, if you're struggling, if you're being insecure in your faith, you probably should stay away from 1 John for a minute. Because <laughs> he, did he didn't pull any punches. He says in 1 John 3, 17, very clearly, if anyone has material possessions and sees a brother in need, but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Why don't you just say what you think, John? How can the love of God be in you? He's not asking the question, he's saying basically, the love of God's not in you. You're not a Christian if you have possessions and you see a person in need and have no pity on them. That's what he's saying here. If, you're, if you love Jesus, you will, you will be moved with compassion for those that have need. And it's not just about having pity, like saying, oh, that's a bummer, I'm sorry. I, yeah, I kind of feel bad about that. Now let's go, let's go get something to eat, you know? It's about actually it moving us to action because look at his very next verse <laughs> in John 3, 18. He says, dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. So it's not enough to just say, I feel sorry for you. He says, you do something about it. If you have stuff, you do something about it. It's about being generous with others. Our generosity reveals itself through our actions. So the saying it's the thought that counts is not true when it comes to the biblical standard for us as followers of Jesus and the generosity that God would expect from us. And most of us would say, well, not most, but yeah, most of us would say that we would want to be generous. We feel that, right? When you see a need, hopefully there's something to you that says, yes, I, I, I see that need and I, I wanna do something about it. But some of us might be at a place where you would say, I can't. My, my expenses and my income, there's no room for that right now. Maybe you've even made some tough, bad, some bad decisions where you're in debt over your head. You're in a situation where it's just almost impossible for you to be generous. And let me tell you something, I get that. Everybody gets that, you know? And that's, that's not something to be condemned about, but we also, knowing what we know, when we're moving forward, we have to be making good decisions to make sure that we can budget generosity in our life. 
I think we should all be budgeting generosity in our life, whether it's to the church, whether it's to the poor, whether it's to missionaries, whatever, wherever, we should be budgeting that into our life because that is, a, that is something that shows the love of God that is in our heart. And we know it's so easy to get consumed with everything we have and the things we have to do and the money that's required of us and the bills that we have. And it's so easy to get consumed with that. But John says, if you love God and if his love is in your heart, there's gotta be a place for generosity for us. The Bible tells us over and over that when we live generously, God honors it, he sees it, and he responds to it. It's some great promises from the word of God. In Philippians 4.19, one of the best verses in all the Bible, it says, and my God will meet all your needs according to his glorious riches in Christ Jesus. We love that verse, don't we? God will meet my needs, thank you, God. But you know what? This is in direct response to the church in Philippi helping the ministry of Paul. It was because of their generosity. He said it a couple verses earlier. He said, because of your generosity. He thanked them for their generosity. He said, in fact, there are a lot of other churches with more money that didn't even help me, but you guys did. And Philippi was known to be a, a poor area. Yet even in their poverty, they supplied him for his ministry because they believed in his ministry and they were wanting to sow seed into the kingdom of God. And Paul says, because of this, my God will meet all of your needs according to his glorious riches. The Bible talks about sowing and reaping, that we reap what we sow. Right, Paul says in, first, in 2 Corinthians 9, he says, remember this. In other words, pay attention, guys. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly, and whoever sows generously will also reap generously. Each man should give what he has decided in his heart to give, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is such a simple concept but it's also so profound. And the beauty of it is, is that we know it's true because it's in the word of God. He also says in Galatians six, he says, don't be deceived, God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. So Paul reiterates it many times. Jesus talks about it. We reap what we sow. When we sow generosity, we reap from it. That's a great principle. Now, now the, the, the heart of the scripture here is not that we would sow so that we can reap. It's not about building our net worth based on sowing and just expecting God to just give us more and more and more so we can keep growing it. It's about being a conduit for God to use. That as, we, as he can trust us to sow, that he can bless us because he knows we'll continue to sow. That's what this is all about. It's about being a conduit that God can use because God uses people. He uses us. We are his hands, we are his feet. And I just wanna encourage you today that when we sow in good soil, that that's a really, really good thing. You know, I, I encourage you to sow, I, but I encourage you to sow in places where there's good soil. You know, if you're, if you're planting, you know, not many of us have gardens anymore, we don't plant much, but if you're gonna plant, you know, corn or potatoes or tomatoes or beans, whatever it is, you're not throwing it on some hard red clay and expecting it to grow, right? You're not throwing it on concrete, expecting it to grow. You're looking for good soil to sow that seed into so that it can grow up and produce fruit. That's the same thing with us. It, would, it, it should be our heart that we would sow seed into places where there's good soil. The best soil, in my personal opinion, is where the kingdom of God is being advanced. Amen? It's where the kingdom of God is growing. It's where the kingdom of God is the priority, right? Now, there's an aspect where we are, we can sow into other places too, where the poor, I think that's a great place to sow into, where there's people that are down and out and have needs. That's why even as a church, 
We give to the bridge ministry. We give to all kinds of different places where we're sowing into the, the poor people too. But ultimately, it's, it's first and foremost about sowing into the kingdom of God. And whether you ever give a nickel here at New Hope, wherever you sow, make sure you're sowing somewhere where the kingdom of God is being advanced. Because that's what God sees. And, and when I'm telling you, I believe with every ounce of my being, when we sow into something and the kingdom of God is advanced through it, whether it's people saved or discipled or whatever it is, when we get to heaven, those people will know that part of the reason they were, that they are there with us is because of the seed that we sow. I believe that. I believe there'll be people coming up thanking people all day long for giving and sowing. That's why I, I, I would never apologize or, or recoil back when I encourage you to sow seed here. I believe New Hope is great soil. I really do. This is where I give too. And you might say, well, that's pretty self-serving. No, it's not. Because when I give the money I give, it's not about going back into my pocket. It's about going to advance the kingdom of God. You know, we're not about buying souls, but you know what? To win souls costs money. It just does. And we want to win souls. And we believe in the ministry here. But whether you give to New Hope or you give to another church or you give to a parachurch organization, whatever you do, give it in places that where it's good soil so you can know that it will produce fruit in life. And I believe God will be honored by that. So the question we ask ourselves is, have I believed the lie that I can't be generous because I don't have the money? Generosity is a spirit. It, it is an aspect of the Holy Spirit in us. You can pray and ask God, God, give me a spirit of generosity. You know, some people are just naturally a little more generous. In fact, even between my two parents, one was a little more generous than the other. The other was just naturally a little more stingy and, and had to work at it, right? So some of us are just naturally a little bit more generous, but you can ask God to actually give you that spirit of generosity. I'm praying that for our church not just to give here, but to just help sow seed that the kingdom of God would be advanced, that this church would be known as a place, and frankly, it has been known as a place for as long as I've been here, as a place of generosity. Where we're always looking to be generous, whether it's in this community or around the world. That should be our heart as followers of Jesus, amen? All right, well, can you stand with me, please? And I will pray for us. I wanna pray today. I wanna uh, encourage you to respond you can respond at your seat. You can actually, if you wanna come up to the altar, we'll open up the altar. We've got plenty of room up here, so I would just encourage you to spread out if you do wanna come up and pray. You're welcome to do that. First and foremost, if you're here today and you'd say, I'm, I'm not a Christian, <laughs> I want you to know that, that you're my heart. My heart bleeds for people to know Jesus. And I pray all the time, almost daily. I try to do it every day. Some days I get a little sidetracked, but I pray all the time that God would bring the people that don't know Jesus into this building. So if you're here today, you might be an answer to our prayers. And I, I, I want you to know that knowing you're saved is not that difficult of a thing. It's a big step, but it's, it doesn't mean we're, that Christians are better than everybody else. It just means we've committed our lives to Jesus and we've trusted him. And we believe that he is the son of God, that he died, that he rose again. He's at the right hand of the father and that his blood, his death forgives me of my sins as I receive him and as I live for him and commit my life to him. You can begin that journey of salvation today. It's not rocket science. I would encourage you to do that. Whether you wanna come up to the altar and do it yourself or do it at your seat or however, but don't leave this place not knowing that you're in the family of God. 
But if you are a part of the family, I wanna just pray for you today that, that you would be encouraged and challenged to approach your finances in a biblical way, in a way that would honor God. So be, just receive this prayer, pray on your own if you want. Let's just open our hearts to God for these next couple of minutes, let's pray. Father, we love you today. We thank you for your word. Your word is what sets us free. Your word is what sets us free. God, would you set us free today? Would you set us free from being devoted to money? Set us free from being discontent because we don't have enough. And set us free from being stingy. Lord, we wanna be generous. I pray for a spirit of generosity over each and every one of us. God, that you would help us by your spirit, that your spirit stirred up inside of us would cause us to be generous to, this, to so many out there that need to see the generosity of the people of God. Lord, where we have fallen short, we repent. Lord, we thank you that you don't condemn. There's no condemnation for those of us in Christ Jesus. We thank you that your word is true. As, as challenging of a, of a book as 1 John is, it's also where he says that as we confess our sins, that you are faithful and just to forgive us and to cleanse us. So Lord, we receive that today. Would you do your work in our heart, God? Help us to, to meditate on these words today, even these questions, that we would even open our own hearts and allow ourselves to see, let you poke at what might be issues in our lives, whether it's greed or discontentment or, or a matter of devotion, whatever it is, Lord. We open ourselves up to allow you to minister to us because God, at the end of the day, we wanna seek you first and your righteousness and that our heart would be that your kingdom would advance before our own and trust that you will take care of the rest. We thank you for that promise, Lord. We trust in it today. Help us to trust it more. Help us to believe your word that life does not consist in the abundance of possessions, but really in knowing you and being surrendered to you. We love you and we bless you today in Jesus' name. And everyone said, Amen, amen. Let's praise God one more time tonight, today. Thank you, Lord.